Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Stat Stories, a Stat Muse original. I'm Chad Shanks. And I'm Justin Kabatko. Seemingly every game in the 2017 NBA playoffs was a one-sided blowout, culminating in the most expected finals rematch in recent memory. But before that series has a chance to erase the preceding ones from our memories, we want to know why playoff-level teams are getting absolutely destroyed and what it means for the NBA and its perceived lack of parity in episode 27, Imbalance of Power. So the run to the 2017 NBA Finals came to a fitting close as the Cavs beat the Celtics by 33 points in Game 5, setting up the first ever Finals trilogy, which even as early as the first round seemed like a foregone conclusion as the Warriors were laying waste to their opponents in the West, you know, not losing a game in their march back to the Finals. So before we kind of evaluate all of this and do our normal statty thing, I want to I want to do something a little different, Justin. I know that we we kind of avoid hot takes here, that we try to take a researched and reasoned uh, approach to evaluating sports, but I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you a hot take real quick, all right? Are you ready for this? Ready. This is my hot take. The 2017 NBA playoffs sucked. Oh my god, they sucked. My hot take? I not like. This is not a unique hot take by any by any means. There's a lot of people who are saying this, but oh my god, was were these some unwatchable? Well, games. wait, no, hold on, no. You're um, talking that you're talking like like it's in the past, right? You're using past tense here. We do have a finals that could redeem this somewhat, but yes, to this point, they've been terrible, terrible. Oh man, so usually, usually, this may be the first so-called hot take I've done on this podcast that you haven't instantly refuted or told me to calm down or told me to just hold hold on hold on a second Let, let's let's be reasonable here so are you in agreement with me that just in general without getting into any details that just the run to the 2017 finals has been as disappointing a three rounds of playoff basketball as we've seen in quite some time i would be in agreement with that yeah well i don't know about quite some time last year wasn't particularly great either but um uh, last, well my- well we'll We'll get into that too, but let's 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 stick with the now for for the moment before we we dive into history. Um, the king of hot takes, uh, Mr. Stephen A. Smith, even admitted his agreement with us on this. Uh, I don't know if it's him agreeing with us or us agreeing with him. But is that a badge of honor for us, though? Really, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. Usually. Usually I don't agree with a whole lot of what Mr. Smith says, but he is the godfather of, of hot takes. But So after the the biggest um, blowout of them all, uh, Cleveland's 44-point uh, Game 2 win in the Eastern Conference Finals, this is what Stephen A. Smith actually said on the actual post-game show of that game's broadcast. Here's what he said. I cut off the game midway through the second quarter en route to Cleveland, outscoring Boston 40 to 13. And you know what I did? I'm I'm not ashamed to admit it. I actually ran out the house. I, I, I went and got some White Castle. I said, the hell with it. I'm just going to go and, and just eat some White Castle and chill out. There's no need to watch this game. And, and you know, you're, you're piggyback and forth. Watch Real Time with Bill Maher. Watch some of my General Hospital T-Vote episodes. I don't have time to watch some nonsense like this. It's a disgrace. It's embarrassing. And as far as I'm concerned, the NBA should be embarrassed for the product that's been put out there compared to Golden State 
San Antonio and Cleveland this year because there is so much subpar basketball. And as far as I'm concerned, this was the latest example of it. Mr. Mr. Smith could be exaggerating here. I, I don't want to believe that someone who's... Uh, their job is to watch all of basketball and comment on it, actually turn the turn the game off to watch Bill Maher or whatever else he was saying that he was watching. But the even if he's not being literal, the the sentiment is there, right? That even people who are the biggest basketball fans were kind of turned off by a lot of these games because in many times in the first quarter, the game was over. By halftime, the game was over. Just sloppy, terrible, terrible basketball. Well, at least for the, the team getting beat, the team winning. If you're a fan of Cleveland or Golden State, maybe these playoffs were, were great. But for people who just wanted to watch an actual competitive basketball game, they you, you got almost nothing, with the exception of a few games in the Wizards and Celtics series, which was I think was a good series overall, probably the best series of the of the first three rounds. But it was wait. Did you say Celtics Wizards? Yeah, I mean, I mean, they yeah, went well, seven it, games. It was yeah, it was a, it was bizarre though. It was a competitive series, but like it seemed like the individual games were not competitive at all. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. That's another point. Yeah, it was alternating blowouts, and you even had like the game, um, the first game between the Spurs and the Warriors in the Eastern Conference Finals was alternated blowouts even within the actual game, right? Like, it was... You hardly had any points in the individual games where you thought, all right, these two teams are on the on the same level or, you know, anything like that. And it's not just us and Stephen A. Smith. You know, it's... This is a very common complaint about these playoffs. Even um, Charles Barkley, who, you know, he is prone to... Taking hyperbole. extreme stances on things, yeah. But even even Charles Barkley, I mean, agree with what he says or not. I mean, he's arguably the most important voice in basketball right now. Like his his opinions carry weight, regardless of how ridiculous they are. They I mean, carry weight. He, <laughs> no pun intended. You, yeah. <laughs> even if you don't agree with him, I mean, him saying on the in the actual TNT broadcast how terrible the playoffs are. That's a that's a big deal. Thank God for the Spurs and the Wizards and Boston. It's been the worst playoffs ever. <laughs> oh, there you go. Thank God for the NHL playoffs. That's what I be watching in the back and selling these blowouts. <laughs> well, whatever. I agree with Chuck about the NHL playoffs. They've been incredible. Now, I'll admit I'm a I'm a Pittsburgh Penguins fan, so of course I'm happy with the way things are going so far. And when you have a team that you're you're sort of passionately rooting for that obviously um, leads you to have a much greater interest. Whereas in basketball, I don't really have a team like that, that I, that I'm passionate about following, but still, I mean the, the hockey playoffs, even, even in series not involving the penguins have been really fun to watch in the NBA playoffs. Not so much. Yeah. You sang the NHL playoffs praises forever. And I'm not, I'm not a hockey fan and I, I don't dislike hockey, but I've just never gotten into it. So and when Cleveland was up like 20 in the first quarter of game seven, uh, or game, um, sorry, game five against the Celtics, I was like, screw this. I'm turning over. I'm gonna, uh, Let's check out this hockey thing. So I turned on the Ottawa-Pittsburgh game seven, and holy hell. Like, that was, that was better than any basketball game I've watched this season. Um, 
Yeah, so the, I mean that's the NBA. If you you have your diehard fans now turning over to hockey because the product that you're giving is just not compelling. I mean that's a problem. But not everyone has trashed it. Um, Jerry Brewer, com- columnist of the Washington Post, had this column arguing that dominance can be compelling. Um, that he he actually liked what he was seeing because you're seeing these these next level teams mowing through people. So I guess some some people are into that. Um, Shea, Shea Serrano of the Ringer wrote a piece about all the great things that have happened in these playoffs defending it. But if you go, we'll post a link to that article in our, on our blog. But like a lot of the great things he talked about had little to do with the games themselves. They were, you know, Patrick Beverly's, you know, crap talking Russell Westbrook and like little things like this that I'll, I'll spare you the rant of what I think is the continuing like memification of the NBA and how we focus more on tabloid aspects than the actual gameplay. But for some people, they found that those parts were enjoyable enough to make up for what was some really terrible gameplay. But for me, who I actually want to watch the actual games and see good competitiveness, these playoffs suck. So let's get away from our hot takes. We that was a that was a long ass hot take. Let's get some perspectives on these blowouts. So, Justin, tell us just a little bit about how significant or not significant were these blowouts that we saw in the run to the 2017 finals. So, like I mentioned earlier, it's been a two-year pattern um, where the NBA playoffs leading into the finals have not been particularly competitive. So this year, going into the finals, there have been 19 games decided by 20 or more points. And let's just call those blowouts so I don't have to keep saying by 20 or more points. So there have been 19 yeah. blowouts. That's the second most ever. The record was 24, and that was last season. So, you know, 43 games that we would call a blowout in the last two years. That's a ton in the playoffs. When you're supposed to have the best of the best, the cream of the crop, these games should, for the most part, be very competitive. And if you just look at the, the average margin of victory by the winning team, uh, this year it's plus 13.5. That's the second highest ever. Highest. Last season, plus 14.5. So, you know, you're, you're seeing games decided for the most part by double digits here. Um, and I, I think when you talked about what the Washington Post columnist said about he enjoys the fact that we're witnessing greatness, right? I, I think that has a, a good deal to do with it because we're looking at teams, especially the Warriors, that are historically on another level. Um you know, the Warriors, there's, of course, all kinds of stats you can you can spot off about the Warriors. But here's a few. Like, for example, the Warriors are the first team in NBA history to have an average point differential of plus 10 or better for three straight seasons. Um, they own three of the 11 largest average point differentials in history. And then just one more. They've won 12 playoff games by 20 or more points in the last three years. That's the most ever in a three-year span in NBA history. So, I mean, you're talking about one of the all-time great teams here. Take that for data. And so, you, so I don't remember the same argument or the same hot takes of last season's playoffs. Maybe it's just a recency bias of my own. But I don't remember people making as big of a deal of last year's playoffs not being as competitive. But like you said, there were more blowouts last season than there were this season. Like, it, Do you remember having the same, the same feeling uh, with last season's playoffs? I don't, but then again, like you said, it could just be a case of recency bias. I don't know. Maybe if we looked back a, a year ago what people were writing, they were they were saying similar things. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think it was, there were 
compelling storylines in last year's playoffs. Like you remember the the Thunder and Warriors series, right? Um, the big comeback that the Warriors made, and of course the finals were were great and stuff. So I think there were there were issues like that that maybe glossed over um, some of the the shortcomings in the in the other series. But yeah, I just and I, maybe like you said, I think people thought they were witnessing the greatest team of all time because the Warriors had broke the Bulls' wins record in the regular season. And so maybe you kind of gave them a little bit of a leeway because, all right, we're expecting this team to be complete greatness. So I don't know, maybe blowouts were more expected. or And it could also perhaps, be a cumulative effect, right, that we're talking yeah, yeah, about. This is, okay, sorry. This is like you yeah. know going on two years now of this. And so one year we're, allowed, we're kind of willing to excuse it and say it was a, a blip on the radar. And now two years in a row we're saying, okay, this is, this is not good. This is not entertaining. Yeah, and so you were witnessing team greatness on one side, and then on the other side, we're witnessing the individual greatness of LeBron, right? A guy who has completely owned the Eastern Conference for, you know, close to a decade now, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's this is what his his um, seventh straight trip to the finals, eighth overall, <laughs> and he's been the best player, the alpha player on all of those teams. You know, what I mean, it's not like a case where. He was a role player on some of those earlier teams that got to the finals. He has been the man on all these teams, and that's just amazing. Yeah. So why? So the question: Why? Why are these? Why are so many teams, playoff level teams, being blown out? Um, you know, the number one reason that pops in my head is the injuries. Of course, like we saw Kawhi Leonard go down. You saw Isaiah Thomas go down. So you take the the two best scorers off of teams in the conference finals, and of course their their teams got rolled over and so before we just get into what that means about how superstar centric nba teams can be and that they're not really well-rounded i don't you know not really interested in any of that just the the maybe if you're going to give the nba as a whole a, a pass on this you could say all right well it's not really their fault that Kawhi and and it went down i mean certainly you're in agreement that that played a huge part in it especially with how lackluster the conference finals were right Sure, but that's those were what nine games in the playoffs. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you still, how do you explain the rest of it? And that's what I mean. Um, well, and then, and then Kawhi went down in the Houston series, and you had that just debacle of a game where the the Spurs rolled over the Rockets uh, without Kawhi Leonard. So and then were unable to do it against the Warriors. So yeah. I don't. It's yeah, not well, all. It's not always an excuse. No, but, the, but let me finish my earlier point, too, about great teams, because I talked about the Warriors, but I didn't really talk about the Cavs at all. And yeah. so I mentioned that the Warriors over the last three years have more blowout victories than any other team in a three-year run in playoff history. Cavs are second. They're tied for second with 11 such games. So you have a team where they're playing in a conference that is, for lack of a better word, watered down, and they are easily the most star-studded team in that conference. And so I, I think that's also playing a part in this, right? Where you have a team that's just when you, just based on a talent standpoint, not on a win-loss record standpoint, because obviously they finished second to the Celtics this year in the East, but just talent standpoint, the Cavs are just way better than every other team in the East. And so you have an all-time great team, and you have a very, very, very good team in a very, very watered-down conference. And I think those two things add up to lots of blowouts. And then let's yeah, talk about yeah. one more thing, too. One more thing I want to add to this. And it's something we always talk about. It seems like we're, we're bringing this up every single podcast. But the three-point shot 
I think is is playing a big role in this. I mean, yeah, if you look, let's see who yeah. in your who in your stat stories pool had roughly 15 minutes before Chad and or Justin say it's all because of the three pointer. But okay, but it it makes sense, right? Because it's a very high risk, high reward strategy taking a lot of threes is. Um, if you look this year, so teams this year are averaging about 57 three-point attempts per game combined. Just go back five years ago, that's an increase of over 61%. And, you know, th- this is a case where where a team, if a team gets hot from three-point range, starts hitting shots, and the other team is cold and not making shots, well, all of a sudden you have a blowout. And I, I think that that plays a big part in this. And the, the Cavs are, are are making threes at a historic rate here. They're averaging... About 14 and a half three-pointers made per game in the playoffs this year. And that's on pace to be the highest ever by about two three-pointers a game. So it's just, you know, you, you've got a situation here where you have a shot that tends to be highly variable. And that's going to lead to highly variable outcomes in the game. Yeah, and variability can lead to volatility as well because you see once teams get down and you know, dig themselves into a little ditch, well, they're just going to try to shoot themselves out of it. And whenever the shot's not falling and you just continue to throw it up and throw it up and throw it up, you're just digging yourself even deeper into the hole. And I think that's what we saw as the second half of a lot of these games were just teams that couldn't make three-pointers continuing to just throw them up and brick them and just kind of added to the, the terribleness and the unwatchability of some of these games. This has been the worst playoffs ever. <laughs> oh, there you go. All right, so I want to ask you, is this a problem for the NBA? So, like when Kevin Durant signed with the Warriors, a lot of you know a lot of columns, a lot of takes were that this was only going to exacerbate the perceived lack of parity in the NBA and that the continuing of superstars to cluster up on a on a you know on one team or three teams. So, like so, just look at the NBA. This is purely opinion right here. So, if you looked at the NBA at the beginning of this season and said how many teams did you legitimately think had a chance to win the title this season? Like, can you think back and say, like, who, like, who, what teams would you have actually said had a chance to win the title? Cavs, Spurs, Warriors, period. Yeah, that's it, right? I mean, you could, if you're feeling, if you're feeling generous, you could throw one or two more in there as your dark horses. But for, for the most part, that, that was it. Like, there's, most teams went into this season without any real shot of winning a title. So you compare that to, let's do MLB right now. They're, what, two months into their season. Like, how many teams do you think have a chance to win the World Series? Probably half of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's so much more wide open. And even you compare that to the NFL, uh, Patriots aside, you know, they have each season, how many teams do you think have a chance to win the title? Like a lot, right? There's none yeah, of the probably, major probably leagues. You'd probably say like 25% to maybe one-third or something like that would have a, a reasonable chance to win it. Yeah. Not, say, not saying the, they'd be likely to win it, but a reasonable chance. Like it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility for them to win it. It wouldn't take an all-time miracle. Yeah. And, of course, this is based on perception, right? But the perception in the NBA as of recently, has been that there is a complete lack of parity, that each season there are only a couple teams that have a legitimate shot of winning it, and the rest of them are either just going through the motions or praying for a miracle. The problem there is that perception 
can often become reality, right? That perceived lack of parity can lead to fan indifference and people just not caring. And so I looked at the ratings from this year's playoffs and the, according to the site Awful Announcing, the ratings were actually up 5% from TV, TV ratings last you're talking year. About. TV ratings? Sorry? You're talking TV yeah, ratings? TV, yeah, the TV, yeah, the TV ratings were actually up. So people weren't just completely abandoning it. But the problem, it can still be bad for the NBA as far as you know, advertisers are concerned. Because uh, I saw via article in Bleacher Report that it took 74 total games to wrap up the first three rounds. And this was the fewest in the best of seven era. Um, so it's fewer games which means fewer opportunities for advertisers who I'm sure ones who had big sponsorship stakes in these playoffs are going to be upset by that. And you also don't want to be advertising in anything that is just getting completely trashed by its target audience on social media or TV or whatever. When you're, you know, if you're paying to sponsor the NBA playoffs on TNT and Charles Barkley is on TNT saying, these playoffs are terrible. These I'd rather watch hockey. That is not. That's not a good look for the NBA. This has been the worst playoffs ever. <laughs> oh, there you go. And so I remember. I remember when working for the NBA, you had the problem with ticket sales. Was you you knew going into the season like there were big market teams, big you know sexy teams that everyone wanted tickets to, right? But then it seemed there were even more that you, you couldn't move tickets even if you wanted. So you had the issue where teams would have to bundle these bad these bad games. Like you're if you want to go see them play the Warriors, well you have to buy this bundle that also has tickets for the the Bucks and the Pacers and stuff like that. So you have just teams coming into arenas that people just could care less about buying tickets to because there's only two, three teams in the in the league worth paying your money to to come in and see. Did you guys did you guys do variable pricing on tickets? Like for example, you Oh, oh, definitely, definitely, yeah. So you yeah, if you want well number one, if you wanted to buy a ticket to just see the Cavs, right? Or just to see LeBron, the price would be through the roof and they made it to where you couldn't. You could not just buy a ticket to see the the Cavs. You either had to have some type of package, some type of bundle that included other stuff because you couldn't move tickets to these teams that no one gave a crap about, that no one wanted to see because there were, like I said, there were only a few worth paying your money to see. And so that's a, I, I think, is a is a problem for the NBA when a, whatever percentage, if I'm, I'm making this up off the top of my head, if you say like a third of your your teams are unable to draw fans on the road. All right, so you live in you live in Ohio, so maybe this is a bad example because you can you know drive to see LeBron at any time. But I mean, what I mean, what team in the NBA would you actually pay money to go see live right now? Warriors, obviously, right? I mean, um, I'd probably pay to see Westbrook play just because yeah. he's like he's like the whirling dervish out there. Um, there's not many. Like if you look at the East, is there any team besides the Cavs you would you would pay to see? I I, hmm, I don't know. And I think yeah, that, I mean and, John and, Wall. John Wall was great this season. John Wall had an underrated, great all around year. But would you want to spend two hundred bucks to go watch John Wall play? Is it that big of a 
big of a draw at all. Right. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I, I can't. That's what I'm saying. Like the East, other than the Cavs, I'm not sure there's anybody I'd really want to pay a decent amount of money to see. In the West, I said the Warriors. I think I would add. I said the Thunder. I would add the Spurs to that. I would pay to see the Spurs. Um, but that might be the list too out West. There's not a whole lot of teams I, I would pay to see. Yeah, and that, but still, the NBA is not suffering in their ticket sales. I mean, they broke ticket sales records again this year. I mean, the the product as a whole is very healthy. I think like these kind of things right here, we're seeing this how non-competitive the playoffs have been. This is the genesis of what could become a bigger problem with just the perception that the NBA is not competitive at all. So. Let's look real quick and see, is, is that true? Is it, is it true that the NBA is less competitive, it has a, more of a lack of parity now than, it, than it's ever had? Like, Justin, do you think, I mean, I think, it depends do you think you, that that's true? It depends how you define it. Um, if you just look like the league as a whole and you look at, for example, the, the variability in team winning percentage, it was highest in the 90s. And that's primarily because there was a large number of expansion teams, like from 88 to 95, 1988 to 1995, they added six teams to the league. And these expansion teams are obviously going to be bad teams, and they're probably going to be bad for quite a while. So in terms of the league as a whole, I would say that, that the 90s were definitely the low point, or the high point. I don't know how you want to say that. <laughs> they were definitely the point where <laughs> there was not much parity. And, oh, by the way, the 90s also had... A super team, right? They had the Chicago Bulls winning six titles in that decade. So that, that could have uh, played a role in that as well. And that's what we're seeing now, like I said earlier, with the Warriors. I mean, I think you're, you're talking about a team that is just head and shoulders above every other team in the NBA. Yeah. And so if you kind of, I, I took my own little look back at the decades and the champions, right? And so I'm going to break down by decade the number of teams who appeared in the finals and then the number of actual individual champions right so i know there are multiple variables that can go into it but this is just it is what it is so in the 80s the entire decade of the 80s only five teams appeared in the finals okay from from, can i try to name from either side yeah you try to name name the five teams oh okay well lakers celtics obviously right you got the pistons yep you've got the rockets and you've got the 76ers you're good all right so of those five, how many of them actually won a championship? Houston in was the in the finals twice and didn't win it. Every the other four did win at least one. Yep, four champions in the 1980s. The entire decade, four champions. So we go to the 90s. You had 10 teams appear in the finals in the 90s. Um, I don't want you to name. No, yeah, no, let's. That'll, teams, that'll become boring. <laughs> the, the Bulls and the teams who played the Bulls. Do you want to guess how many actual champions came out of the 90s, all right? Um, I'm talking 1990 to Yeah, Pistons, Bulls, Rockets, Spurs. That's it. Yep, four champions in the 90s. All right, so move on into the 2000s. So from 2000, 2009, all right, there were 11 teams that appeared in the finals. Can you guess the number of champions? Uh, Five. Five is correct. I don't know why I thought you wouldn't know this. Um, can you name them off the top of your head? Lakers and Spurs, Pistons, Heat, Celtics. 
uh, yeah, that'll do it. I don't know why I ever think you're going to get stumped or mess up. But yeah, so you had five, five champions in that decade. All right, so the, the 2010s, just through this season, there have been eight teams appear in the, in the finals. This is including the three-peat of Cavs Warriors. And there have been six champions. So just in, you know, of course, not counting this year champion-wise, because we don't, well, I guess it's going to be the same. It's not going to change regardless. Um, there's already been more different teams win a title in this decade than there have been in any of the previous three. Now, you can't kind of throw a monkey wrench in there and say, well, the, the Heat and the, and the Cavaliers were technically just the same LeBron winning the title. But, so if you're going to make an argument from that stake, the NBA is actually a little, has a little more parity in it than it has in the past couple decades. Take that for data. But the overall, like the stretches of dominance and certain teams just running, running the NBA, this is, it's not anything new, right? This has been something that has, has been the, in the NBA's blood for decades, at least back through the 1980s. I didn't go through the 70s or 60s or anything like that because I thought that was just kind of irrelevant to our argument. I mean, the 80s is borderline irrelevant because it's a completely different league. But the point of it is, dominance is nothing new in the NBA. Like The NBA has stretches of teams that have just owned the league. And so what we're seeing here with having two teams battling it out each year in the finals, sure, it's the first time they've been the same teams three years in a row, but Cavs-Warriors is nothing different than Bulls-Jazz, uh, Lakers-Celtics, you know, and so on and so on. This is what the, what the NBA is. So even if the numbers don't back up that anything out of the ordinary is happening, like I said, perception becomes reality, and in some cases can be even more important than reality. So we have something that was kind of alarming on, on many reasons, all right? Ramona Shelburne of ESPN was asking Kevin Durant a question in a postgame, and she brought up the blowouts and things like that, and here was, here was the exchange. So you're saying it's not been fun watching as a fan? Well, I mean, I don't know. You watched the, yeah, you watched the game last night? or I mean, you can only talk about this. I'm sure it's fun to play. Yeah, if I was on the team that's up 40 points, I, I wouldn't, you know, you got to give them credit for being up 40 points. And, you know, they, they went out there and dominated. So, you know, that's what you want to do every time you step on the court. So I'm sure they're excited about it. Um, but the fans, you know, they always want to see a tight game. They want to see a buzzer beater every game. But, you know, it's not like that sometimes. And, you know, every year has been um, – you have your years where you have great playoff series – four or five game sevens and then some years you have what you see this playoffs but as players you want to go out there and win as as by as much as possible um and play as great as you can you know whatever happens that you know with the score it happens so really that to the fans who feel upset if you don't like it don't watch it so kd um uh, number one i like how he's embraced the complete heel turn after joining the warriors right he went from he went from red and white, uh, I'm a real American, Hulk Hogan, straight to NWO, you know, black and white Hogan. I, I like how he's embraced the, the heel turn. But that's not something you say, KD. That's not something in, anyone in the NBA needs to say right now. You don't dismiss it. Now, he eventually did a, a, apologize for it. I'm sure he got a talking to 
from from someone in the in the upper echelons of the league saying this is about the worst thing a player could say uh, when addressing the competitiveness of his league or the actual what we want you to do in the NBA. Do not. That's just rule number one. They're going to put in the uh, rookie handbooks when they come in. Just say number one. Don't ever tell fans not to watch the games. But it just kind of goes again. Like I think this is could be the genesis of a huge problem for the league. It's been years and years in the making and everyone complaining about the super teams and that there's only a few teams worth watching. I've, I think that this is something that the league will dismiss. They will continue and use numbers and stuff that we've that we've brought up here to say, hey, this is nothing really out of the ordinary. But in today's in today's world where what people say on Twitter and what people like us morons who make, a, you know, give their opinions on podcasts, it, it carries weight. And if it gets to the point where enough of the general public really thinks that the playoffs don't matter or that the whole season is just a foregone conclusion, that is no point in watching it because only two or three teams can win. I, I think that's a huge problem for the league. Am I am I overreacting? Is it not as big of a deal? Or what do you think about that? No, I mean, well, it would be a big deal, obviously, right? It's just the question of is it really going to get to that point? So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, no, it, saying that would be a big problem is not an overreaction. But thinking it's going to get to that point may be a step too far. I'm not sure. Yeah, and I've seen a lot of articles talking about how how much pressure is going to be on this upcoming final series if let's say if the warriors blow the cabs out in four or five games then it's only going to make this problem worse that people are going to just you know go on and on and say that this the nba yeah that there's really no parity and i think that could be trouble but if we have anything approaching what we had in last year's finals what an, an epic incredible series that was i think Everything that we've talked about, everything about these playoffs is going to be completely forgotten. And maybe that's why we've forgotten how how bad last year's playoffs were, just because that final image of LeBron holding back his teammates as that the Warriors' last chance three went up and they, they won it. I mean, that and the, the block, all the just imagery from last year's finals just completely erased from our memories how, how terrible the march there was. So I think if we have anything close to that this year... We're going to completely forget about it until next season when it happens again. Yeah, I don't have much to add to that. I mean, I tend to agree with that point of view. If, if this is an epic finals, um, what has occurred here over the last month and a half or so, two months, we'll forget about it. And I think you're right in that that's probably what happened last year, where you have the first case in finals history where a team comes back from 3-1 down to win a title, and that just sort of erases your memory of the the bad basketball we saw to get to that point. To kind of go back to, to what Jerry Brewer said in the Washington Post about people loving dominance. I think pe- people will remember greatness, right? So if, you know, the Warriors win and it's the, you know, the coronation of them back being on the top is one of the greatest teams we've ever seen. Or if LeBron is able to pull it off and defeat this team yet again even with with KD on it now, it's going to be the again the more of a coronation for LeBron, and people will remember that. Like in time, 
you're going to look back and just remember, oh, these were great times because we saw individual or team greatness the same way we look back on the 90s, even though only four teams won championships. We don't remember how lopsided it was. You remember, oh, that was the time when Jordan reigned supreme and you look back on it fondly. So I think from the long view of the NBA, this isn't as as big of a deal as it is for the short view where if you're going to have fans and advertisers and even certain players and reporters as we saw from KD and Ramona Shelburne addressing that that this is a problem and it could be more of a short-term thing than a long-term thing so before we kind of wrap this up we had to put like a pretty bow on it we can say that yes there have been incredible the blowouts the dominance by certain teams and players it's really nothing new um but with today's media landscape it could be a bigger problem than it has been in the past all right justin kabatko i know you prefer to look back at games that have already happened and look at the numbers there but i want you to look forward look into your crystal ball give me an nba finals prediction what's going to happen okay number one do not take this to the bank do not take this to Vegas. Do not put any of your well-earned money on this prediction. But as I was talking about earlier, I think the Warriors have proven to be historically one of the greatest teams of all time over these past three seasons. And this year, I think they're at peak Warriors. And I don't see this actually being a very competitive series. And I think the Warriors are going to win it in five. Now, keep in mind, I made the same prediction last year, which looked really good through game four, and then completely fell apart. So I've underestimated LeBron in the past, and I'm probably doing it now. But like I said, I just just see this as being an all-time great team, and I think they're going to beat the Cavs in five. I really do. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know. I think with this series, any prediction is kind of valid from Warriors in four to Cavs in seven like anything is on the table no Cavs and four is not on the table that is not on the table. <laughs> you don't you don't know i mean no i know lebron proved himself to be a superhuman last season i i think i think if i was putting money on it i would put money on the warriors i think that they it's just too much for anyone even lebron to overcome but if i had to say what i'm hoping for like i'm hoping for LeBron to take them down. Like I want to see, I want to see him topple the empire. Okay, but you gotta like, give games I, here. You're saying you're saying you think the Warriors are gonna win. How many games will it go? If I had to put money on it, I'd say like Warriors in six. Okay. But if I had, to, if I put my heart, if I put my heart on it, I want to see Cavs in seven. I want to see LeBron just take them down and topple them. Anyway. That's our opinion. We'll find out. Maybe by the time you listen to this, it will be completely irrelevant and see how wrong that we are. But thank you very much for listening to this. This breakdown on us just telling you to calm down, calm down. Everything that you're seeing is all right and actually very much in line with what we know of the NBA. So thank you for listening. Be sure to check out our blog at blog.statmuse.com where we're going to have some of the results from StatMuse questions that we asked and uh, we'll show you how we arrived at some of the uh, conclusions that we did. If you want to hit us up on Twitter, hit the company at at StatMuse, hit Justin at at jkabatko or me at at chadjshanks. And be sure to tune in for the next episode of Stat Stories.